Hello, welcome to the Red Blue Labs podcast. I'm Lubos, and I have Andrew here talking about hackers being on your network for extended period of time and the implications of that. All right. Well, hey, Lubos, I'm glad to be doing this podcast with with you. I uh, the the topic of hackers being resident on a network is something that I've been thinking about for a long while. Every time I read something on the news, I I think about the fact that it wasn't just an overnight attack that happened and that there was information that was gathered and that they maybe was sold or that it just it's just not possible in my mind that it was an overnight thing that these organizations have been compromised. So typically these attacks take several days, sometimes even weeks to get through to the network. Is that correct? Yeah, well, and and truthfully from from my research Lubosh, a lot of these attacks can actually take place over hours, days, weeks, even years, and that would be a a bad actor that's sitting in the network undetected until they're that point of we need to release this this exploit or actually finally carry through with what we had planned a while a while back. There was a do you remember back in it was like twenty twenty and there was the solar winds attack. Yes, yes, I've heard was, about that. That was a huge that was a huge attack that happened. And the the implications of it for the most part, we don't really t- hear much about it in the news now. But if we go back in time and we look at, we go back and look at some of the news articles that we, that we had there, there was the federal, the whole United States federal government was impacted by that solar winds attack. Every every level of government right. had this this event happen. Data was stolen, and the kicker was, and when you, when you go back and do some reading, and I've I've compared a few articles. That that talked about the solar winds, and they all sort of have the same thing, the trend in those articles, and that is that there it was a there was a period of time that there was people sitting on their network that they had no idea that there's people there. So the, the the solar winds, the the company had no idea that somebody's actually inside their network, possibly. Um, aggregating all this data and and exfiltrating all this data for how long? The I've heard up to about fourteen months, but it wasn't even just solar winds. Actually, it was even you would think that the American government, the federal government, would have uh, monitoring to watch um, traffic and stuff leaving that shouldn't be shouldn't be leaving. That which brings into what is the topic for this this discussion, which is what we call in security, being resident in a network. So that means, when you, when you say you're being resident, it means you're, you have compromised some aspect of the network. Uh, maybe it's a machine, maybe it's a piece of hardware. Really anything that has an operating system, you, could, you can compromise it. Um, you, sit, you sit there and you just, you just be quiet. You're dormant. And maybe you're collecting data very slowly, um, collecting it from wherever, and then eventually shipping it off to wherever a server somewhere else on the planet. And these, these, these bad actors that are resident in networks can sit literally for years, which is 
which I think is super fascinating because if you look at the solar winds, they were 14 months of where there was no, nobody had any idea that there was a compromised hardware. Uh, and even so, there was a very, very recently, there was an article about a, what was it? It was a cyber gang and they had sat on a, a targets network for 18 months. 18 months is a long time it's to very, sit on a network. Yeah. So, so these bad actors, would they um, create their own credentials? How does that exactly work from, from what you've read? Did they create their own credentials and log in, or, or did they bring the actual hardware? Can you elaborate a little bit more on, on what they would do? For the, for the one that I just mentioned with the sitting on it for 18 months, they, they haven't really divulged exactly how it was, uh, what they did to get into the network. But man, the, when, you, when you do research into compromising networks, and thinking about APTs, advanced persistent threats, which are all over the which are all over the place and happening all the time, the the what am I trying to say? The there is there's so many different ways to get onto onto a network. I mean, you got social engineering, which is part of an APT. You've got the you could plant physical hardware in a target's location, and it's the there's an there's an adage in network security monitoring that I love. And I, I, I tell it to all the students that we talk to. Uh, and, it's that, and it's this, that prevention eventually fails. And I think it's a really important philosophy to have when you're developing a network because you can do all the stuff you need. You can have the hard, most hardcore hard, hardware, the best firewall set up, and then somebody has their, the same password for multiple accounts and all of a sudden there's credential stuffing stuffing happening and the the network's compromised. Yeah, right? so 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 that goes back to the fact that uh, that no security is ever 100% and you need to be testing your security over and over. Uh, it's it's a it's a never-ending game. Yeah, totally. You you really do need to be testing it all the time. Uh, which is why we see there's a growing popularity of like red teaming and blue teaming and purple teaming, orange and green and blue. Uh, and those are all teams that we would see in the security, security scape. That sounds like another podcast topic. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, then last week in our last, in our last uh, podcast, I talked about that water plant. I, I go back to that yep. fairly often because I, I find it fascinating. <laughs> I'm going to talk about it again because... <laughs> The, this this water treatment plant, I'm, I'll, I'm not going to go too deep into it because people have listened to the other episode, but the hackers were able to compromise this entire water plant through a password that was left as default, okay? Terrible. But I just I just can't accept that that was a one-time thing. I, I have to believe that the, the knowledge of how to access this place had been known for a long time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. who knows? Once you once you into the network, why not try to compromise a machine and then just s- sit in there and have it feed out feed out data? You could you could be it's like it's is literally leaving leaving like a back door into the network. Right. So so that begs the question. Uh, oftentimes, these attacks are not necessarily fully planned, right? Because once you start attacking a network, you don't necessarily know what kind of backdoor you are going to find. Right, yeah. Yeah, maybe you can, maybe you can um, pre-plan it to a certain degree, 
but that may not necessarily work the way you planned it. That means that, as you said, some of these attempts have happened multiple times. Maybe some of these attempts failed. Maybe some of these attempts did not fail. And once you, once you enter this network and you find credentials, then you are hoping that the credentials don't change. Mm -hmm. Or once you find a door that the door doesn't close on you, but you're not probably going to necessarily uh, try to execute some of these tasks right away. Oh yeah, right. Right. So these bad actors, these attackers, may be sitting there and trying it for several months yeah. before they actually execute something. And yeah. they, they need to find out, they need to test the waters, they mm -hmm. need to find out if maybe uh, the monitoring is working on their their network monitoring is working or maybe it's not mm -hmm. so they they may be testing this for a while uh would you consider that being a resident as well if you are if you're sitting if you have a place in their network i would consider that being resident if you're actually in there right so if you found a door to yeah. get in um and you continuously test it yeah over the over the period of months yeah. sometimes you know there's a i read a book recently lubosh and it was it was written by kevin mitnick and for those who know the name kevin mitnick he's a an infamous hacker in the 90s mm -hmm. all right and uh, he wrote a book called the art of intrusion right it's a really fascinating book but what the book is about is basically a collection of stories that hackers have submitted and him and his colleagues have, have vetted them and have proven that they are they're actually valid and they're not just like big tales that people are telling. I caught this fish. It was this big. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there's one story in there, and it's all about social engineering. Right. And and it's about social engineering was it was just a piece of it. But it's also the actual the act of exploiting a target to gain uh, access to intellectual property. That's what this yep. this hacker's ultimate goal was to get a piece of this software, whatever. So, so, so it was like an espionage, right? Yeah, they wanted to steal it. And they I don't even think they were going to sell it. They, It was kind of like um, a pride thing. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, I got it. I did it. Yeah, so it was ego-motivated. It was, it was more, I got the vibe that was more ego-motivated. But the the story, this this hacker was working on this network. Not He wasn't resident yet, um, but he, he was trying to attack for like two years, right? And that's that's the... Uh, persistent part of the APT, you know, advanced. Okay, yeah, we're attacking the network. Persistent could take forever. Yep. Um, and eventually, it, eventually, it pays off. So there, that's that's a story that I think about when I think about uh, the amount of time that it can actually take to do to do hacks. It's not it's not an overnight thing. I think that's what the media doesn't sell too much or say really when they give the story. Oh, there's these hacker groups, these APT groups. They they broke into this place today. <laughs> like, okay. It took, it took a couple hours. And <laughs> yeah. But really, maybe it took that, that group of individuals determined like three years yep. to finally get it. And now it's just finally made it to the news. Yeah. Right? Um, there's a... And the, the topic of being resident, Lubos, isn't just a, a recent thing. Mm -hmm. and in fact, networking, it's been around a really long time. <laughs> it, it goes back into like the 50s and the 60s and it, it starts touching into the 40s when when networking actually started to come into place and it was rudimentary back then uh, not like what we have today with our 
or switching protocols, etc. Right. Um, but during the and there's a book that I've that I've got that's really great. And it's it's called The Darkening Web by Alexander Klimberg. Highly recommend it. Uh, he isn't a sponsor for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I just really enjoyed the book. Um, but there there's a there's a thing that he talks about, and it I often go back to it, especially when I'm thinking about this topic of being resident. And you know, in the Cold War, when America and the Soviets were, yeah, um, there was this moment they're like, "What's going to happen? What's going to happen?" The whole world is on on edge, right? Right. right. Um, he he details some historical events where we had some like, there was like five or six like really close calls, <laughs> uh, so close that like there's people's fingers like were just sort of like rubbing that fire button, yeah, until somebody had like this moment of clarity, like, "Whoa, wait a second, let's not do this." Yeah. Uh, but they they were able to. This is the part that I I, I sit on Lubos, and I think about. They were able to know when somebody else was sending over a a bomb. Okay, they had the technology to be able to say the Soviets are going to be bombing us, and the Soviets had the technology to be able to say America is going to bomb us. Okay, so so this information is being moved around from from um, USSR to America and back and forth, right? Yeah. Uh, do you think this was done through technology? Was this done through the network, or was it done through social engineering? So through espionage itself. Oh, you know what, Lubos? I bet it was. I bet it was a bit of a bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Definitely, I would I would land on espionage. I'm not an expert on. Uh, spies in the 60s yep. but I would I would say if I was doing it yeah I think that would be part of it but one thing that one thing that Klimberg mentions in his book is that they would they had to have been resident in each other's networks right but I, I guess again that, that that begs the question um, was it the actual web as a network um or was there perhaps more of that, more of that, social engineering part of it, okay. um, or, or perhaps both, right? Yeah. Um, I'm not 100 percent sure how how advanced the networking was back in, because this this goes back to 70s mostly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. 60s, 70s, I think. Uh, so the networking was around definitely for sure, but mm-hmm. it, how advanced was it? Uh, that I I don't know necessarily. Right. Yeah, and we'd have to, I don't I'd have to do some research on that on that too, Lubos. Um and you made a good point actually about the fact that there would would have been espionage happening as well. There would have been spies on yeah. both sides. Yeah. Um so was this communication done through, you know, planting uh, planting bugs uh or was it actually sitting on a network cuz um I imagine that much of these military technology back then was mm. not based on networking, likely. Mm. You know, so you know, you may have s- some automation done, but yeah, my understanding is that it was mostly emails. That, that you know, that the network was mostly used for emails and mostly communication versus mm-hmm. automation or or. or um, you know, control of some of these military technology. Yeah. Know that emails, you know, if you if you exfiltrate emails and the communication, 
you are still getting that information. Um, you are still accomplishing the same thing. Mm-hmm. But you are not necessarily able to execute some of these attacks the same way as you would be able to do it now. Well, that's a good point, Lubos. The the types of attacks would have been very different back then. Mm-hmm. You know, and we, we talked about it a little bit in our previous uh, podcast with um, the... In the 90s, it was it was hard to do these attacks, even though the networks were wide open. Right. You know, we got the people that were doing uh, freaking with a pH yep. over the phones. Right. That took a. It wasn't just an overnight thing either. You had to have be in the right community and sharing that information. And it was very much skill based, right? So you, you yeah. would have to acquire those skills over the years if yep. you were given that you were in a right, as you say, community with that you are communicating with proper people that yeah. will perhaps teach you that or collectively you, you figured out how to do something. Where yeah. These days, um, we have much more knowledge and much more experience, mm-hmm. but at the same time, networks are um, much more hardened against attacks. Yeah, and another thing we have nowadays is much more access to information and data. I want to learn about a particular piece of firmware I can actually literally go to the internet and just download that firmware yeah. and then compromise it however I however I want. Or I want to understand how real-time protocol works, um, I can go and download an RFC and, and read it. Right. But you go back 30-some years, the, that access... What a thirty! I gotta look at my own age. <laughs> it was... Wait a second. Uh... But then we were we were using the red books and stuff for yep. that knowledge on on networking, which I still want to get my hands on one of those one of those books. Which do you have any? No, no, I don't. Ah. No, I don't. No. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like if you if you needed access to information, whatever information that maybe uh, you needed to either go to library or know people, right? Because yeah. not because not every not everything was stored in library. Obviously, for, yeah. for for some obvious reasons. Yeah, here's a here's a book on how to do really bad things. <laughs> just don't just don't sign it out from the library, okay? <laughs> You're only allowed to to look at it here. Yeah, <laughs> they're gonna have a back room in the library for people that want to learn about uh, hacking networks. Like, <laughs> they're gonna have a curtain set up. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, what were, what were you talking about? Yeah, so so I would like to actually get back to that sure. to the resident. <laughs> Let's do that. <laughs> uh, so where would you draw the line between just try testing out the waters, trying uh, trying the attack, like that that first phase of the attack versus being a resident on a, on a network? Where would I draw the line? Can you can you explain it a little bit more? Like, yeah. So what does a line mean to you? Like, um, at what point? Typically, when you have an attack, it may take months to even figure out how to get onto a network. Yeah, yeah. At what point can you say that now I'm resident, I have gained access? Or is, it, is, is that line where you actually gain the access and you are inside on a network? I don't, I, okay, I don't think it's when you first get in. Because when you first get in, you're just going to start enumerating and you're going to do some uh, discovery and you got to figure out where you're going to sit for a while mm-hmm. kind of thing. For me personally, I would say that you can be considered resident when you are when you have a persistent access. 
mm-hmm. to something somewhere in the network, and you can continually access that, whatever it is. I would call it an asset. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have access to that asset, then, and you have it for a, a particular period of time. I don't know if that period of time has been set. Right. But uh, I, I, I would say a good chunk of time. Uh, and if, if you have, if you still have access after like two months, three months, I'd say, yeah, you're probably persistent. Nobody's, yeah. nobody's found you yet. Yeah. So, so you get, instead of just getting in and getting out, you know, maybe exfiltrating some information in the meantime, uh, th- that's not considered being a resident, right? You, you need to be exfiltrating some of this information for, for weeks, yeah. days, weeks, months. Yeah. Well, some of the stories I've read, it was in that book, Art of an art of intrusion again Mm -hmm. and the the hackers were able to gain access to the network they were on an ass asset an internal asset and then they they had to do discovery so they had to do port scanning right right but port scanning really is pretty noisy yeah Yeah, Uh, i was just going to say that (laughs) it it can be detected fairly easily if you are if you have uh good systems that are monitoring your yeah so you don't you you want to be discovered so you got to do it in a way that will evade detection and so one way to evade detection is by doing it really slowly yeah what you know you get millions of packets flying around in an internal network on on your target what's that are people really going to find that one packet that that one sin packet that flies over and hits the dns server or whatever and then the synac comes back and then okay great now we know that there's that port's open now let's do another 65,000 ports yeah. <laughs> and it takes like three weeks to get yeah. it done, but eventually it gets done, right? So people, and people do that, Lubosh, which is fascinating when I read these stories about the, the absolute determination. I think it's part of the hacker mentality as well, which I, which I admire and I want to kind of, I don't want to emulate the bad things, but I, that persistent, that try harder, I'm going to keep going right. until I have the answer that I want. I think that's part of that hacker, hacker mentality that yep. I actually admire. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I would agree with that. I, there is, uh, you know, it's it's beyond just being a hobby. Yeah, you know, I you, agree. You, you persist and you keep trying until you actually find a backdoor or, or, or the network that you can uh, that that you can exploit. Yeah. Um. So, okay, so you are on a network. Let's imagine you're on a network now. Mm-hmm. You are a resident and exfiltrating some of this data. I actually, uh, I don't remember exactly what script this was, but I, a few months ago, I saw a script that will exfiltrate data or, or file. Specifically, you can, you can select certain file through DNS where it will split your file into small chunks. Mm. And then um, it will uh, exfiltrate it from the network without being detected. Sometimes, if really? it is a larger file, it will take weeks. Yeah. Right. To, and then you, there was another script that would reassemble it back to the original file. Hmm. Uh, so th- there are ways of getting the information outside from your network to the outside world. How do you go about? ensuring that that doesn't happen? Oh, man, that's a big question, Lubos. Because in that scenario, the person's already resident. Yep. They're sitting in it. Well, you would, you'd have to be doing regular security 
maintenance and and checks and balances to all of your assets. You know, if it is if you have DNS, DNS is critical yep. in a network, uh, especially that corporate that corporate network, uh, even small business, whatever. Um, having having trained individuals that are able to go in and look at the logs, and and be able to spot weird things. Um, what is normal? What is abnormal? And being able to find that, that's really important. Um, regular policy checks. That's a piece that I think is often forgotten when we think about how to protect a network. we got to have policies set up. Yep. Right? Who yeah. are the people that are coming in and touching this network? Right? We we have users coming and going all the time, yep. onboarding, offboarding. Are they, in this, are they getting the same training every time they're in there? Are they... Are they do you have security policies that are forcing these users to change their passwords? Mm-hmm. Uh, I've worked in a variety of places where all kinds of policies are in place, good ones and absolute garbage ones. Yeah. And, and I've had conversations with, with clients and I said, just to let you know, this policy is garbage. And it's not, it's not a case of if you're going to be compromised. It's when. It is when. It is yeah. literally when will you be compromised. And uh, and you want to know how many of those people, the when happened? Every single one. Yeah. <laughs> and mind-boggling, yeah. Lubos. Yeah, policies are very, very important. And updating them on a regular yeah. basis. Right? Patch yeah. management yeah. too, right? Keeping up with all of those patches. And not just because the news says it. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> and that, that's the part that I just came to my mind. But like, you'll see it on the, new, on the news. And if... And I'll be honest, Lubos, if you're, if you're seeing something on the news saying that there's a there's a new vulnerability, it's old that's, news. That's months. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just going to say, yeah, for sure, that news is typically months behind. Oh, my right? goodness. Because it's, it's just become big enough yeah. to, to make it to the news. But, you know, it, there can be substantial damage even way before that. Yeah. yeah I, got, I got a question for you, Lubos. Mm-hmm. You, in the news very recently at the time of this recording, Log4j... Right. We we should be talking about that one for a very long time because the implications and the the impact of that was so huge. Um, do you, what do you think? Do you think that was an overnight, or do you think that no, absolutely hackers... not. Like, you know, this this was just to really touch on what it was. It's authentication library based mm-hmm. on Java. Yeah. Right. And lots and lots of applications we're using this library yeah. to authenticate. So that means that you potentially have hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of different applications using the same library to authenticate. Bonkers. Uh, but you're right. It must have been known for for a few months before it blew up, right? Yeah. Um, these researchers... Um, I'm not actually sure who discovered it. I, yeah. I assume that they were security researchers. Yeah. Uh, probably ensuring that they are right and the, the vulnerability actually exists way before they even released it. Mm-hmm. And then once they release it, it takes weeks, if not months, to actually uh, pick up and, and and confirm and start working on it. Yeah. So that we... we what I hear you saying is that we kind of have these processes that we just sort of do that enable um, bad actors to act on things four months at a time um, or multiple months 
at a time and which would then potentially lead to a a bad actor eventually becoming resident mm-hmm. in a network i'm like I, I i i do wonder like how how long was the people abuse the log 4j it could have been a long time yeah and then it makes me think thinks of this lubosh we had no idea about log 4j until it was finally revealed mm-hmm. like what is happening right now in the world that we just don't have an idea yep. but it's this, this gaping maw <laughs> yeah that that the the criminal underground understands knows and uses regularly that we just haven't the masses haven't been alerted to it yet. Yeah. Something that you want yeah, to think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't know because uh, there are new vulnerabilities coming up basically every day, every week. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I guess I don't really want to paint dark, abysmal <laughs> <laughs> picture of this world. No. Okay. I got to be more cheery, Lubosh. <laughs> I spend too much reading time reading books called The Darkening Web, <laughs> The Art of Intrusion. <laughs> But but it's something that we need to be aware of, right? Yeah, it's, totally. It's, um, I guess the nice thing is that any vulnerabilities typically start off fairly small, right? Mm-hmm. One, two, three people, or or a subset of mm-hmm. uh, of uh, people know about it. They probably know about it for weeks, but mm-hmm. uh, or perhaps months. Uh, but it's fairly small subset of people yeah. that know about it. Uh, you know, vulnerabilities don't really become extremely, extremely dangerous uh, until they become of certain size. Right. right. When that's the that's the thing about vulnerabilities versus exploits is that a vulnerability yeah. can live. Your system can have a vulnerability for forever. Um, it just it, when it gets exploited, that's when it becomes a problem. Yeah, and you, you can know? you can probably argue that. There is no system without any vulnerabilities. Yeah. Do humans exist? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there, there will always be vulnerabilities when it comes to to networks and computers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. But. So, again, coming back to that resident, um, do you think that air gapping your computers or air gapping your whole network from from outside world would solve some of these issues well for our for listeners what is air gapping yeah so you you have this um if it is just a computer itself it's like segregating your computer from outside world right so if you have if you have extremely important system something that will um, you know, within a military setting, something mm. that will set off. Oh, okay, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, another war. Yeah. F- for example, you you don't really necessarily want to have it on a network. Right. Should they? So the question was: Should they? Should we be air gapping more? Correct. You know, it all comes down to risk appetite, in my in my opinion. Like, look at look at our regular. I'll give you an example. Let's look at our homes, right? For the most part, we we take we buy the router or the the ISP gives us the router, and we turn it on. And majority of people just cross their fingers and be like, "Oh, we got the internet, and it worked, right?" Uh, but then somebody, some random friend comes over, uses your internet, goes to a website that they didn't didn't know was on there. It could be a drive-by download, 
gets ransomware. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden it's just ripping through your house, right? (laughs) And grab, I don't know, encrypts your, all the baby pictures that you've got in your house. It's (laughs) a big problem. It's a big problem. (laughs) I have a, I I have a physical safe at my house and I have a a hard drive of baby pictures. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. That's a... So is that, that's an air gap, right? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there, it's about risk appetite. Most people don't, they're, they, they have an appetite for risk that they aren't even aware of. Yep. At my house, I set up a guest network mm-hmm. and I have a secure network and all of my work stuff, all of my testing happens on this secure network. And the, when people come over and they want to go to the internet and do whatever they want, they, it's not going to jump over. Uh, to my my network. So if I come to your network and and uh, get the access to guest network, can I do penetration testing? You could, yeah, oh. I would love that. Because <laughs> <laughs> then you could find a gap in my network, and I can <laughs> and I can fix it, Lubosh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I have done tests myself, yeah. right? And doing like a host discovery, sitting on the guest network, and then trying to do like blasting the network to see if I could find anybody, and I couldn't find anybody. Mm-hmm. Which is great because I had some I have some important to me machines living in that network, um, but that would be a, a mitigation strategy. Right. But most people don't do that mm-hmm. for the most part. So should we should we do air gapping if it mitigates the risk? Then yeah, we yeah. should do it. And I guess that decision is uh, on on the management or the owner of the company, the the owner of the assets, right? Yeah. To to make the decision whether uh, the whether they need to mitigate some of these risks or they're willing to take that risk. Yeah, and that's the thing about risk, that it will always be around. Remember the thing I said at the beginning was for network security management is that prevention eventually fails. And some companies are okay with risk. Mm -hmm. Some companies are really not okay with risk. And I've talked with both, and the truth is that both parties can be compromised. Mm -hmm. It it just depends on time of day, the, the user that's on the system at the time, are they more susceptible to phishing attacks? Uh, did, we, did they throw out a computer in the dumpster that had a hard drive that wasn't encrypted, mm-hmm. and so they could just pop that sucker into another computer and all of a sudden know everything about the company, yeah, right? I, I've seen, uh, I'm laughing at it now, but I've seen companies just throw out computers, just leave them in a loading dock, a bin full of yeah. computers, and you just go and grab one. And yeah, they, they did wipe the hard drives, but they were still usable, right? So the hard yeah, drive, yeah. You, you can recover some of the data to a certain degree. Oh yeah, or and you go to some of those recycling places where just the general public can drop off a thing, drop off a computer, or what whatnot. I've I've walked by those bins and be like, oh, I wonder. <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> I've never done it. I've never done it. <laughs> <laughs> but I've thought about it. Maybe that's yeah. what makes makes me. Relatively good at security is that I can, I can. You have underst- the thought. You have the thought. <laughs> yeah, I have the thought. I this is how I could do something bad, and then I don't do it. But but thinking about knowing how to do it, I think is good for that. But may- maybe you should just to gain some knowledge, right? Just to just to, I mean, there's ways around that too. You could I could get a friend's computer and like, hey, I just want to try to practice on this thing. <laughs> yeah, friend. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, this was a fantastic talk. Yeah, I, I love talking about this stuff. Um, so we'll we'll continue with some other topic next time, but I think it's time to wrap it up okay. for today. And um, 
I hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next time. I don't <laughs> want to say see you. <laughs> and uh, um, you can listen to us every Friday wherever you get your podcast. Oh, yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you. Have a good day.